This is the Laravel News Podcast, your one-stop podcast to find out about Laravel-related news, tutorials, packages, and more. Here are your hosts, Jake Bennett and Michael Dorenda. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Laravel News Podcast. This is episode Octan Svai. Episode 82. Thank you so much for joining us. You know, man, I think we need some new intro music. What do you think? You're always about the new intro music. You always want to you know, get I new am. music. I am. I, I want new music. I want a new intro thing. Maybe not even with the lady that says, you know, all the stuff that she says there. Have you? I don't know. <clears throat> have you listened to the Founder Quest podcast from uh, sponsor of Laravel News, Honey Badger? I have not. So they they paid, and and they did they did say who it was, but apparently this person has done like some cartoons and stuff. So he's a fairly well known voice actor. Um, but they have some pretty amusing intros. They're they're they've got like three or four different ones. Um, and outros are different as cool well. As if we let somebody record our intro each time. Yeah. So if we just had the people from the community that were like, uh. You know, Laravel News Podcast, your home for blah, 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 whatever, whatever. Yeah. I don't know. Would that be cool? I think so. If somebody from the community got to record? I think we, we could get like, a whole If bunch we just of put it out there. Get. And then I'm sure we would probably get like 15 of them within a day or so, and we would just have a nice backlog of ones that we could throw in there. Yeah. Like, and we won't even script it for you. You can just do the intro however you want. We can get some people from all around the world. If you if you don't speak English, then don't even, don't even do the intro in English. Just do it in your native tongue if that's what... What you're I'd, comfortable? What do you with? think about that? Is that is it, we'd have to run that by the big man? I think, huh? I don't think he even listens to the show anymore. To be honest, he just assumes that we're <laughs> doing a good job, and as long as no one complains, he's happy. And by big man, we mean Eric Barnes, who is decidedly not big. He's not. And I remember the first time he met me, he said, "You're taller than I thought." Well, because you only ever see people and on the internet from the shoulders up, so. Yeah, and um, I'm I was with my family this whole week last week like with family relatives, like people I've grown up with my whole life, mm. but I haven't seen in a while. We had a funeral, family funeral, which was sucky, but it was cool to see everybody. And I probably had like six people like look at me and be like, have you grown? <laughs> like you're so tall. And I'm like, seriously? Like you've known me my whole life. Like I haven't grown since I was probably like 18. You know, it's like, no, I haven't gotten any <laughs> taller. I don't know. That's funny. Anyway, Octonsvai. Okay, so we are on episode 82. We got a couple little things we're going to skip over, skippity skip, skip. And the first thing we're going to talk about, which is what you talked about, is the podcast Laravel Origin Story. You said you got to listen to this. I did not. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about it. I had it. a good listen to it. And I was listening to it at the gym, so I kind of zone in and out because, you know, not injuring myself is obviously my first priority when I'm listening. But, um, Justin Jackson over on the Build Your SaaS podcast. Woo woo. He uh, he took some time to sit down with Taylor and and do a nice little interview with him talking about essentially the origin story and and going back to Taylor's time in college and how like he was even just not even really looking for a job as a programmer back in those days. You know, he was looking at something else and kind of just fell into it and then started playing around with PHP and and luckily for him he came into PHP around. 5.3 so we'll we were past all the quote unquote bad bad php and the, the dark times where we started to get some of the yeah for the most time anyway yeah yep. starting to get a lot more of the first class support for proper object oriented programming and 
you know, really just coming out at the time where, you know, we had some of the nicest stuff that a lot of people that get, get into PHP now sort of take for granted. They don't know what things were like back in the day. So, um, yeah, really interesting episode um, going into like the backstory and where Laravel came from and, and all that kind of stuff. It runs at about an hour. So it's, it's a pretty in-depth discussion. Um, it's a good listen. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Justin Jackson's a pretty good host too. Like, um, it's funny because before I knew Justin Jackson was actually like, well, I guess it was probably before he was introduced to the Laravel community. Really. I was following Justin Jackson before that, right? Marketing for developers, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, Justin's just a really cool guy. Like, you get a chance to sit down with him. He's got four kids as well, like I do. I think he's... Uh, <laughs> oh, he's funny. He lets talk to him about his four kids sometime. He gets very passionate. It's pretty funny. No. I won't tell you which side of the fence he's on on that, but it's really funny. <laughs> um, and anyway, yeah, so he's a cool guy, and uh, he's a great host. He's always doing something new and different. So, like, if there's ever some new thing that comes out, he's always the first one I see kind of jumping on the bandwagon and trying it out and um, like isn't intimidated by new stuff. So he's just like, hey, you know, I don't know Laravel at all, but I'm going to try and build something in Laravel and I'm going to live stream. Yeah. And so he just kind of reads through the docs and, and makes it happen, just goes and figures it out. So it's kind of cool. It's kind of cool that, yeah. that so. the, you know, the best, the best time to teach beginner stuff is when you are a beginner. Um, and like he, as you say, he's not, not at all worried about jumping on a live stream and just fumbling his way through the docs and learning things on on the fly and like really being um thrilled at the at the whole experience of learning something and and making something happen for the very first time so obviously he's in the northern hemisphere being a canadian so a lot of a lot of those streams hey. happen in the in the middle of the night for me and i'd it's it's too hard with all of these live streams that happen to catch up on them like when by the time i get up it's like i'm not gonna sit and watch a recorded live stream so um but if you do get a chance when when he does do one of them certainly check them out yeah yep absolutely so thanks justin thanks taylor um have you been listening to the uh laravel snippet as well those are kind of cool yeah they taylor are talks about taylor talks about yeah. all kinds of stuff yeah. lots of lots of teasing at the he moment does. about uh you know we're getting into that Report. that time of year where he starts talking about uh the uh, upcoming new, secret project, secret project six. And Tim McDonald. Did you see what Tim McDonald put together for that? I had not. He's put together a moment, like a Twitter moment that compiles all of the things that Taylor has dropped as hints over the last like year. It's like ridiculous dedication. He's been, <laughs> he's been like, he's got all of it together. And apparently he has it in like an Evernote or a OneNote as well. Like all these different <laughs> things that Taylor has said. It's pretty funny. So Taylor was like, oh my gosh, this is hilarious. <laughs> it was good. It was good. Good. The marketing machine is hey, in full do we swing. Wanna jump? Yeah. 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 The marketing machine. Taylor's always really been really good at that. Yeah. Um, continues to be really good at that. I'm excited to see what Vapor is. It should be cool. Yeah. Okay. So, 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 so. Should we jump into releases here? Let's do it. We've got three of them. 5.8.12, 5.8.13, 5.8.14. I will cover, try to cover 12 here. Okay, so a couple interesting new methods right off the bat. So also celebrating uh, the 400th release of Laravel. So that's pretty cool. 400th release. I would. I remember a couple, maybe last episode we were talking about like 28,000 pull requests or something. Anyway, mm -hmm. 400th release of Laravel. So that's pretty cool. Um, so there's a new duplicates collection method. 
So what this does is it will return the indexes of duplicate values from the original collection object. So you just have a collection and then you just call duplicates and it returns to you the duplicate uh, values by ID, uh, which is kind of interesting. Um, similarly, a new duplicates method was added to the eloquent collection class, which uses the model is helper to check for duplicates. Then you can kind of see how it works in the PR, but it sounds, it, it basically does the exact same thing, uh, just as you would assume. It checks for duplicate models, and if it finds any, it will return them uh, to you by index. Next, we have a get views method, which was added to the file view finder class. And this allows you to retrieve all the view information from currently loaded views. So there's nothing new here other than the ability to access the views property via the get views method. That's, that's pretty much all it was, right? As of Laravel 5.8.11, the exit code is captured in scheduled command events. And this led to a new PR providing some helper uh, helpers that are now available to the scheduler. Do you remember talking about that one? Yeah, we did. So it didn't used to be that the exit code was ever returned. You'd have to do some Correct. funky thing to get the exit code. And now it's just returned when you mm -hmm. call the command, right? So uh, there's now an email on failure method. So it checks to see, it checks that status that gets returned, right? Mm -hmm. And then there's an email on failure method that's useful for if you want to receive an email when there is a fails scheduled command, as opposed to the email output to method, which is sent no matter what the outcome of the scheduled task yeah. is. So, um, you know, one of the other things that this sounds familiar to is the then ping method. Yeah. Right, so you have this then ping method that will always, that will get sent out uh, when a scheduled job runs. Uh, but in addition to those, now you have this email on failure and email output to, which sends the output to you in an email. Okay. Uh, I think we've got one more here. It says the set data type was added to the MySQL grammar. There's a link in here to learn more about the set type. Uh, I don't actually know what the set type is in MySQL. Have you ever learned, have you ever used this? So it's like, you know, it's like a, it's like enum or like yeah. set. Yeah, it looks like yeah, an enum. Yeah, it does look like me. an enum, which means you would be like, nah. Yeah. Nah. I mean, I don't know what the difference between the an enum and a set is. It looks the same in terms of method signatures. So you pass it the name of the field and then an array of possible values. But I've, I've yeah, never used it. I'm not sure exactly that. what it is. I haven't read up on it, but he links to... Links to an article. It says it's a string object that can have zero or more values, each of which must be chosen from a list of permitted values. So it's like with an enum, aren't you allowed to just have one of the values mm. from the enum, right? So a set column can have one or more of them. It looks like. Mm. It looks like. Interesting. Interesting. So you can have a set of values, yeah, right. if you will. There you go. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Okay. Interesting. The last one that I think is pretty cool here for this PR is. Um, that uh, previously, if you've ever wanted to do a where in query, you'd have to just say where in. Um, you couldn't use it as one of like the comparison operators, yep. right? So, but now they've added that ability in. So you can say where, specify the key, and then as the comparison operator, where you'd normally put like greater than, less than, or equal is usually assumed, mm -hmm. you can use the word in there or the word not in. And it just essentially produces equivalent queries to what it would be if you said where in or where not in. But now you can use that you can use that comparison operator slot there to put in or not in. I think that's most of it. The rest of them can be looked at in the show notes. Yes. Okay, that's 5.8.12. Thank you, everyone, for all your hard work on that. Looks like some pretty cool features there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, 5.8.13 is the new one. And we'll circle back 
Taylor did actually talk about this a little bit in the latest Laravel snippet, but a new blade at error directive was added by Caleb Pozio. So where currently you might do at if errors has email in order to determine if there is an error with the email in the validation error bag. Now you could just do an at error email and then that basically shortcuts that whole at if errors thing. So um, there was... And gives you a message. Yep, and it gives uh, you the, the message directly. So um, it, it certainly cleans that up a little bit for you. Um, there was a quite a bit of discussion about that in the in the pull request that Caleb made to the framework for it. But obviously all of that was addressed to a level deemed acceptable and has been pulled into the framework now. This was always a huge pain before, right? This was, this is why typically this is why I would use these sort of like bootstrap form helper classes is because you'd have to put all of this in every mm. single one of them. And then you'd have to do the um, old input sort of deal to fill in input values. I don't know. It just got a little bit verbose and I really liked abstracting that away. But this is like, this is pretty dang good. Yeah. This was always one of those things that was annoying to have to do. Um, but this looks very clean. Yeah, I when when Caleb mentioned doing this, I actually re responded to that. I typically use at errors first, and that all shortcuts this whole thing down anyway. So you could do errors first, email, comma, and then as the second parameter, pass it whatever you want. So in terms of, for example, if you are adding a different class to an input based on the fact that there was an error, I would do, um, you know, parenthesis, double parentheses or, you know, double braces rather, errors, arrow first, email, comma, and then like has error or whatever. And that way, if mm, there is okay. an error for the email, then it would like it would return has error. Otherwise, it would just return null, which is what you would do using ternary operators using errors has. Okay. Additionally, if you pass as the second parameter, like a HTML string, so you could do span and then colon message, and it would actually replace colon message with the error message. So then I would use that as the inline for, you know, rendering a, a help text that there was an error. So I, I've been using that for a long, long time. I I would like to see that in a gist because I'm having a hard time following yeah, you. I will, but I'll, I'll link it up in the show that. notes. I did, I did have a yeah. tweet that covered that kind of stuff off. So I'll put that in the show notes as well. I cool. I personally think that looks a little cleaner than than the error directive. And I know there was a lot of back and forth about like weird edge cases and if you're using custom validator bag you know named bags and things like that it gets a bit trickier that's true um yeah, whereas true. like if you're using the error directive it assumes that like you're only using the default validation bag and you're you yeah. know you're, you're doing basically the the laravel way in terms of handling that so um but i think that with the um the other approach it gives you a little bit more flexibility in that regard yeah yeah that makes sense uh, the other thing that we've got in this release in Laravel 5.8.13 is the ability to register custom doctrine debal types in the schema builder. So check out the PR for more details on that. But if you're wanting to be able to create arbitrary types or support things in the in the database engine that isn't supported by Laravel out of the box, that's a, that's a way of handling that for you. There was also... A, a revert to the in and not in query builder operators that were introduced in Laravel 5.8.12 because of an issue with where pivot. Um, so yeah, be sure you upgraded to this or Laravel 5.8.14, I think is the, the current one, which we will talk about next. Okay. 5.8.14 is out with a job-based retry delay. 
Uh, let's talk about this first. So uh, previously you would have uh, the ability to delay a job, a retry basically globally, right? I think you could have this global config set that would say if a job fails, wait a certain amount of time before you retry that, right? Mm -hmm. And in some cases, yeah, that's absolutely appropriate. There may be other cases where you actually don't need a pause. You can go ahead and rerun it immediately. And so now what you have the ability to do is you have the ability to put this public property on a job called retry after, and then you can specify the number of seconds that you would like to wait between when it fails and when it tries again. Uh, you can also use a method actually called a retry after, and then you can you know put some logic in there that would then determine how many seconds you want to wait. Uh, whatever value return, that's how many seconds it's going to um, wait to go ahead and uh, dispatch that job again. And actually, I take it back. The retry after method can also, I, I don't, okay, it can return either. It's, it's mixed. It can return either an integer, which is the number of seconds to wait, or it can return a date time instance, mm -hmm. right? This is not something you can do in the retry um, in the after. You can't yeah. say like, hey, retry after carbon now plus two days. You yep. can't do that. Uh, but in the retry after method, you can. So you have the ability to do both of those. So uh, there's good foresight on that to be able to allow both. Yeah. I like that. The Pretty retry cool. after um, method seems really useful to me if you're wanting to do some kind of back off logic because you've got access within that method to the number of tries. So you could say like, if yeah, it fails sure. once, wait five seconds. If it fails twice, wait 10 seconds. If it fails three times, wait, you know, 20 seconds. Ooh. So you could- You know who I bet? I wonder if, I wonder who did this one. That allows you to then progressively back off the retry. So if you're hitting a rate limit, for example, you might say retry after and then figure out when that rate limit will reset and then make that job wait until the, rate limit has expired on like if you're calling an external api for example so that's that's a yeah, really that's helpful a, way of, of using it yeah it's like webhooks that's why i thought of david hemphill he's got this uh i don't know if it's a, is it a secret i don't think it's a secret cron dog i don't think it's a secret i think he's spoken about it yeah yeah so that idea right and this is kind of how amazon does it and a lot of the other webhook stuff mm -hmm. is they'll say we'll hit a, we'll send a webhook to you and if we receive a 200 then we'll delete that if we don't receive a 200, if we receive a 500 or a 404 or whatever, then we'll go ahead and retry it again in 10 seconds. If we fail again, we'll retry it again in a minute. And if we re fail again, we'll retry it again in 10 minutes. Yeah. And then we'll stop retrying. Like we'll, we won't try anymore after that. And then if it fails that many times, then we'll just send you a notification saying, hey, by the way, mm -hmm. we had a webhook that failed. Yep. So yeah, no, that's, uh, you, that's a great use case for that. Very cool. Very, very cool. All right. What else we got? We have um, a guzzler testing library. Okay. Oh, also, you know what? Side note here. Side note. Um, you have used a bunch of different things to kind of share migrations and models between applications, right? Mm -hmm. So I took a page from the Michael Dorinda book because this last week we had two applications that are sharing migrations and we couldn't write tests and it was a big mess. And um, I literally just chucked all the migrations into a package and said load migrations from in the service provider and it's auto discovered and that's it. Mm -hmm. That's all it does. Nice. And it works like a freaking charm. Yep. And you know what? Like they're sharing a database. So even if both of them ran migrate on their deploy, it wouldn't matter at yeah. all. 
would make one bit of difference. So I literally just made one single tiny little package, deleted all my migrations from both of them and included all the migrations in and it's amazing. Yep, it is nice. Yeah. We The one thing that we've sort of thought about starting to do now is to actually put our test into that package as well. So where we've got all Ooh, the models. Interesting. Because you can, because all the migrations are there, you can use something like Orchestra Test Bench, which will yeah, which right. will give so you kind of boot up yeah, which will give you like the Laravel instance in your development environment. So we could build up all of the the database, have access to Laravel for all the testing, and it means that we can write all of the tests for like model logic and and that kind of stuff in that package, rather than having to put it into the application that's using the package, and then um, you know worrying about like. What if something? What if we break something over there because we've changed something in the models and and all that kind of stuff? So, something that we're certainly looking at in the next little while, just to give us a bit of assurance that we're not breaking the models core functionality. Nice, yeah, that's cool. Um, so this is this is talking about Guzzler, this test library. Have you do you use Guzzle much? No, not no? directly. Okay, okay. One pattern that I've found helpful, and we, I mean, I wouldn't say we have like a microservices architecture by any means, but we do have a couple things that are like tied very tightly to the Windows file system. We've got like this Java, uh, what's it called? Oh, it's a com object. That's what it is. It's a com object that has to interface with this legacy database. And so like we've kind of locked all that down to like one little application that continues to live on this Windows IIS web server, whatever. And so we end up using Guzzle to talk to that quite a bit. So one pattern that I've found helpful is to throw all of your stuff that needs to talk to another service into a gateways folder. And I just call every one of them a gateway, right? And so if I have a um, legacy database gateway, mm -hmm. right? And then that talks to my other server outside of there. And then what I can do is since I'm using that, I can swap out a fake implementation at testing. So I can say I have an HTTP legacy gateway and then I have a fake legacy gateway, mm -hmm. and I can just return back whatever I want when I call a particular method, right? And it also allows me to basically stub out what I want the API to feel like or look like before, before I actually create it on the other yeah. side. So I can kind of mess with it and really quickly change things around. That being said, this is a testing library, so kind of not really along the same <laughs> thing, but it's kind of an alternative option, right? It says supercharge your app with a testing library specifically for Guzzle. Guzzle covers the process of setting up, I'm sorry, Guzzler covers the process of setting up a mock handler, recording the history of requests and provides several convenience methods for creating expectations and assertions on that history. So if you're using Guzzle, uh, if you're just using like some Guzzle client, what you can do here is you can say this Guzzler expects some call, right? And then you can... Um, send back uh, whatever response you want. So it basically allows you to do exactly what I was talking about, to fake that that gateway, that Guzzler gateway, right? Uh, some of the things that it does though uh, for you is it allows you to have some of these convenience methods for making assertions. So you can say assert will respond or et cetera, et cetera. And then you can you can do that. So in the context of a Laravel application, you might have a, a base Guzzle client bound in the service container with an interface or a concrete class or something. And this allows you to basically override that in your test suite. So yeah, that's it. That's it. It's just a specialized tool to mock Guzzler or to mock Guzzle and to make assertions against what Guzzle is doing. Nice. So we used to do that. Yeah. You don't want to like do that. We used kind of to make assertions manually. about that. And it's not really like I didn't 
I didn't like it. And there's ways to do it using just Guzzle. You don't have to use yeah. Guzzler. But it always got really messy. And so I found that having these fake gateways just feels way yeah. better to me. Like my own fake gateway where I don't have to even set it up in the test. I just like have this fake class that I know is out there just for testing. Yeah. It's pretty nice. Yeah. Well, that and maybe I should write a blog post maybe. and be like, hey, Paul, maybe you should do this instead. <laughs> Very nice. Hey, we'll have the link for Guzzler in the show notes. And if you want to check out the documentation, you can do that over at guzzler.dev. Thanks to Adam Kelso for this package. Yeah, you. Okay, what else we got, Mr. Dorinda? Laravel Favicon Extractor is a package by Stefan Bauer that provides a convenient way to extract a Favicon from any website and save it to the configured storage file system in your project. One example use case of this would be grabbing the Favicon to represent a website that is part of your application. So if you're, say, got a, a website monitoring application, you could extract the Favicon from the website that you're monitoring in order to you know, make it stand out in that list of websites rather than just having a list of URLs. So if that's something that you would find useful, definitely check this out. There will be a link to this in the show notes as well. All right, here's another package for you, Lara Berg. Have you ever used the Gutenberg editor? No, that's the new the new WordPress editor that came out in the WordPress 5 or whatever it was. Yeah, it is. It is the uh, WordPress thing though, correct. Yeah. I'm wondering though how good it is because I'm interested to see what the difference. It looks sort of. It was there was there was like a really big hubbub about this because WordPress kind of came out and said this is coming out in the next next major release and it wasn't necessarily like something that the the WordPress community at large wanted. Like the editors and people that are actually building websites, they really liked the you know they liked the editor and WordPress as it was, and so it kind of felt like. Gutenberg was a a solution in search of a problem. So mm. there's there's a lot of like um full page builders like Divi and things like that out in the WordPress landscape that allow you to actually edit your templates and your views and whatever else in place. So you can edit the text in the context of the blog post and you can edit the page in the context of the page itself as like a full blown WYSIWYG rather than just typing text and then hoping that it all looks right. So there was a lot of a lot of furor. We won't go into it on this show, obviously, but uh, yeah, if if that's something that you that you would need, like a full page editor, then maybe this would be something that suits your needs. Yeah, it does look pretty interesting. This seems almost a little bit like what Wink was like trying to accomplish, mm. like with the um, like blog stuff. Yeah, kind of built on Laravel, right, or built into Laravel. But it does. This does look really interesting. It feels pretty good, to be honest with mm. you. So basically, what it does, the big, the big kind of. I don't know, benefit is it has all these pre-built blocks mm -hmm. for you, right? That say like, hey, here you can insert some sort of new block. And the items that they have is like a cover image, a paragraph, a regular image, a list, a gallery item, uh, a heading, a quote, audio files. And there's a bunch of them. There's a bunch of them in here. Pull quotes, uh, separators, page breaks, widgets, latest comments, et cetera, et cetera. So there's a bunch of stuff, which is pretty cool. And uh, yeah, so this plugin here, Laraberg, essentially allows you an easy way to integrate the Gutenberg editor with your Laravel projects. So it's built, of course, on top of the Gutenberg JS project and it implements all the necessary communication and adds an easy to use API in order to get that into your project and working. If that's something you're interested in doing, yeah, go ahead and check out the blog post and check out Laraberg. Yeah. There you go. Okay. We got this Jungus Laravel ACL as well. I'm interested to hear about how you guys do ACL. 
I'm going to take a wild guess because I actually don't know what ACL stands for. I, I know context, like contextually, mm-hmm. what ACL stands for. Is it access control layer? Is that what it yeah. is? Yeah. Okay. I thought this, it was something, I, I, that was a guess, but I figured out, so, <laughs> I figured it out along the way, but right. <laughs> but um, yeah, I would be interested to hear kind of how you guys do this. And then um, if this is something you'd find useful. Yeah. Uh, so in, in the context of our main application, we use Active Directory for authentication and there is a basic level of authorization there. So within Active Directory, you can specify obviously a username and password for auth- uh, authentication. But then we would also say that you'd have to be in a specific group to be authorized to use that application. So it's username and password and that you also have access to the application. But in terms of permissions and like authorization gates and things like that within the Laravel application, we manage that within the Laravel application in the database. So we've got essentially a table of permissions and then we have a pivot table that joins the permission ID with the user ID and then we just assign those permissions through a basic CRUD interface. There's just a whole bunch of checkboxes basically that says, yep, this user has this, 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 and this permission. Um, we save that, we sync that back to the database, and then we just use Laravel's authorization gate. So we use the uh, the gates, we use uh, user can, we use the at can directives in our blade templates to say, you know, whether or not we should display certain parts of the of the interface to a to a given user. So that's essentially how we do it. So it sounds, yeah. So it sounds pretty similar to this one, with the exception of the fact that this one has permission groups yeah. as well. Yeah. So you basically have like a role. We assign like a role and then this role has these specific permissions and then you mm-hmm. can apply a user, you can apply a role to a user and then that user gets all those permissions, yep. right? And then you can apply one-off permissions as well. But this uh, basically allows you to store permissions for users in groups in the database and it kind of just, it kind of configures all that for you, right? So it allows you to check a user for ACL permissions. It allows you to sync a, user, sync a user's permissions, sync a group's permissions, check permissions in the view layer with can or provided customer directives. So it essentially does what you were just talking about for you. Yeah. So you don't have to set it all up yeah. yourself. So there is other ones, right? I think there's two other that I'm thinking about right now. Joseph Silber has one called... Uh, Bouncer. Uh, what's it called? Bouncer. Yep. And then uh, Spassi has one as well. Yeah, they've got a permission um, package as well, the name of which escapes. Mm-hmm. Um, they've got one. There was another one quite a while ago, and I don't know if it's still an active development, but it was called Sentry, and not to be confused with the error oh, tracking okay. software. Yeah, that was... Uh, was that by that one group yeah. that kind of... They made a whole bunch of packages and then, and they were, I'm pretty sure they were based out of Australia somewhere or at least some of the yes. people in the yeah, collective Because were. I know, yeah. I feel like Ben, Ben, what's his face? Ben Corlett, yeah. Corlett, yep, Ben, Ben Corlett. It looks like, one thing I will say is this looks like it has really great documentation. So I've, I have found, I mean, Spassi, of course, always has great documentation. But if, if that's something that you need a lot of code examples for like, okay, hey, how do I revoke user permissions? How do I uh, set up a group scope? How do I set up a permission scope? How can I do this or that, right? There's a lot of examples and a lot of code to look through, code samples that you can look through on this documentation. You can tell they've spent a lot of time on the documentation uh, on GitHub. Like I said, lots and lots of documentation. Looks like they did a really good job on that. So if this is something you are looking for, you haven't found a solution for it, and it sounds like something you might need, Jungus, J-U-N-G-E-S. Yep. Laravel ACL. Thanks, Matthias Jungus. It was Cartalus. Cartalus was the name of the group that was responsible Catalyst. for all these packages. Yeah, That's right. That's right. Cool. Okay. 
All right, I think that about does it for packages. Uh, we do have a couple other items, such as tutorials. Mr. Dorinda, which one do you fancy next? Uh, Jason Beggs has got a tutorial here on building a flash message component using Vue.js and Tailwind CS. So he steps through essentially how you set up your application to to get uh, Vue up and running. So if you've if you've not got Vue in your application, and talks about building out the component, styling the component, you know, making it look pretty, handling things like attaching dynamic states and dynamic classes to it based on whether it's an error or an alert or a success component, and then also communicating with the component from outside your application. So if if that's something that you're interested in, then building the component. And, and it talks about like doing flash messages and making making the alerts like as toast toast pop-ups in the corner of your application or at the bottom of your application or whatever. So it goes into quite a bit of detail about building these things out and and, and even into the, the realm of like view transitions and having the component fade in and out and things like that. So uh, thanks to Jason for that tutorial. I thought this was an interesting one as well. This is written by Andreas Sent... Oh, man. I know Andreas, but I don't know his last name. <laughs> Santa Banas. Santa Banas. Andreas Santibanez. Santa Banas. Santa Banas. See, you did such a better job. Andreas. Yo, what's up, Andreas? Shut up. Okay. So, Andreas uh, has an article here talking about allowing users to send email with their own SMTP settings in Laravel. So, he talks about his reasoning behind this being he wanted to give their customers the ability to customize outgoing emails to kind of allow a more personal touch uh, to, to make it look like um, the email came directly from them mm -hmm. versus a generic web app you know that they're using right basically a whitelist for sending sending your emails uh, so as you can imagine this would probably be a little bit difficult to figure out on your own typically you don't you don't do this right you just have like one set of mail credential mail credentials we set up the mail driver the host the port the username and the password the encryption and he kind of steps through how he solved this problem so it isn't a package as much as it is a tutorial for how he set that up but it's an interesting one and uh, if this is something you'd be interested in you can find that in the show notes okay exciting news very very exciting news we've been waiting for this one for a long time go on share with us no I, i'm 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 gonna give you a big softball here i'm gonna lay this one up for you second from the top here arrow function short arrow functions even P yes. php finally has approved short arrow function syntax for the next I think, is it coming in 7.4 or is it coming in eight it'll be in it's php 7.4 7 yep 7.4 so if you've used, and I feel like Laravel has used a lot more of these in the recent, well, honestly, probably since collections. Mm. Collections is, I feel like, when they really started getting introduced heavily into the Laravel uh, ecosystem because this is just kind of how you do it in, honestly, in most languages, I suppose. Like if you're going to use a map or a reduce or something, you're going to pass in the collection and then you're going to pass in a callback that's going to get run over each one of those items in the collection. Mm -hmm. And that was the first time I remember seeing these... Um, you know, these anonymous functions being used, that's, at least that's when I first started yeah. using them, right? But the syntax can be a bit verbose, right? So you have to say function, and then you have to put in all the arguments that you are going to uh, be passing that function. And then if you want to use any variables from outside the scope of that function, you have to pass them in using a use statement. Um, and so these, you know, if you're using more than just a couple of them, it gets really long, really fast, 
And so uh, with an arrow function, now basically you can shorten that word function just to fn, pass in any variables just like you normally would, but values from outside the context of this function will get passed in, basically aliased in almost automatically. Mm -hmm. And then you don't have to have the curly braces surrounding the actual thing that Expression. you're going to be doing yeah. as, as the function, right? So I again, it's it's hard to read it on air but basically th that's what yeah. it is right i i'm i'm gonna have a hard time explaining it without you actually seeing the code but it shortens up the it shortens up the call a lot and it, it just makes it way 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 more readable yeah. especially if you're going to be using any uh, significant number of them yeah right so here's the caveat it's only a it's only a single return statement and it's only a single line function so if you've got a little bit more logic to whatever you're wrapping in this arrow function, you're still going to have to use the verbose syntax. This works if, yeah, for example, you true. just want to return in a, in a map, if you want to map over a collection and you want to return, say, for example, a user's full name combining the first and last name, then you would pass in to the fn function, you know, fn dollar user arrow. And then you, so it's an implicit return. It's kind of like a JavaScript arrow function where you would, you drop the return keyword and you just put in there yeah. what you want what you want to return so it looks very much like a javascript arrow function but the caveat being is that it is only a single line so you can't have like if statements in there and all that kind of stuff this is like a stepping stone i suppose towards support for multi-line arrow functions in the future and it seems like, yeah, I mean, like I, I wasn't a part of the internals discussion. And so maybe the key to getting this approved was to basically narrow the scope and say, okay, this is what we're doing here. We're just looking for like this single line, you know, let's at least let us get this. And so finally the internals is like, okay, 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 let's do that. We, we, that's reasonable. We can do that. Right. So hopefully maybe what this turns into, like you said, is, okay, now that we've got that in there. What would you think of just adding some curly braces in there and then still passing in the context of the surrounding function, you know, mm -hmm. the surrounding, you know, variables in? What do you think about that? Yeah, maybe we could do that now. Now that we've been doing this for a little while, right? And hopefully, hopefully that's the case. I know for me, I never use regular functions in JavaScript anymore. I mean, like, un unless for very, very, very specific instances, yeah. but I'm almost always using short uh, or fat arrow syntax, I suppose, in JavaScript. And I heard some people saying like, oh yeah, it's less readable. And I just, I don't agree. Mm. Uh, it does take a little bit of time to get used to though. Yeah. Um, and, and like if you've not been using really. it in JavaScript, yeah, it, it, look, it could look weird at first. Yeah, I'm not sure. I certainly wouldn't want to have a collection pipeline where I'm mixing and matching between the short oh, syntax yeah. and then the, you know, the classic syntax because of what I'm doing inside that collection pipeline. I think that will make it a little trickier to read, but I suppose it'd be no different to mixing and matching like the higher order proxy stuff where you could do like filter arrow and then pass a function to the end of the filter True. method. So, I yeah. mean, your mileage may vary, but it depends on your application and, and what you're actually passing in and out of there. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. In any case, I think it's a great, 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 great feature addition and hopefully it paves the way for additional features like this in the future. Mm -hmm. I saw Taylor saying he was like, I'd love to see this uh, one resurrected. It was like a pipe operator for Laravel. Mm -hmm. Not for Laravel, sorry. For PHP. A pipe operator for PHP which was like bar arrow symbol. Like that was the pipe. So instead, yeah, I, I can't, I'm not yeah. going to explain it on there, no. but basically a pipe operator. So yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, Paul Redman uh, wrote a little tutorial here about testing streamed responses in Laravel. 
so there is this idea of a download um, that you can send back as a response. So let's say you have a CSV and you're going to send that down to your user to download. You can say response, download, you can pass in the path to the file, the name you want to name it, and any headers you want to send along, such as uh, content type, right? So you could do that. Uh, but you can also, instead of just passing a download, you can also pass a streamed download. Right, So if you have something that's going to be built over a period of time or it's like going to be a larger export, you can actually stream the download down. So as it's being compiled, as it's being built, it will stream the download down to your users. So uh, it, can, it can be somewhat difficult to test, right? And so uh, thankfully, Laravel provides some uh, abilities for you to be able to test those uh, easily. And so Paul kind of steps through what that looks like and how he tests those. And um, it's, a, it's a pretty good and extensive tutorial. So if that's something you are interested in, uh, you should definitely check that out. Absolutely. The last thing that I've got here to talk about is these Laravel Mix aliases. Have you? These are pretty have cool you, too. Have yeah. you seen this? Be, this thing, but have you seen specifically I, the the aliases before? Yes, I have, and it's like I've never been able to get them set up. No. I've tried to use them multiple times, and it's like every time I try and set it up, it's like I have to. I think I have to dig into like Webpack or something, and that's always yeah. a little bit scary for me. So I'm like, nah, never mind. I'll just I'll just write the full. I thing am out. the same. I'm sure I've seen Laracast videos, and I'm sure I've seen like the at and the and the tilde and stuff in there before, and I'm like, hey, I'll just do this, and it'll reference like. Rather than having to do dot dot slash dot dot slash dot dot slash dot dot slash dot dot slash, you know, to node modules, you can just do like that. So with this Laravel Mix alias is an npm package that provides a convenient method around Webpack's resolve dot alias configuration. So essentially, it's just a method that you can attach to your call in to Mix in your Webpack config, and so you just do Mix dot alias, and then you pass as an object a key and a value. So for example, you could pass at as the key and say that, you know, if I have at, then this is passing, uh, this is a reference to like slash resources, slash assets, slash JS. And if you're using tilde, then it's a um, reference to resources, assets, SAS. So I probably personally wouldn't use that differentiation. Like I would just have something to reference down to resources itself. So we'd have, you know, at would be resources and tilde would be like node modules, for example, because those are the two things that I would be reaching into most commonly. But it's it's just a, a package that you can pull in using npm. So it's just Laravel dash mix dash alias. You require it in your web webpack config, and yeah, just use it as mix alias. So it it certainly simplifies the process of using it, um, especially over using like the webpack config stuff where you have to pass in like resolve alias. Um, it, it's just a convenience thing. It can be done with vanilla Webpack. So if you're familiar with that, if you're comfortable with that, you can do it that way. Otherwise, this package by looks like Maxim Van Hove, who is responsible for that. So thank you to Maxim. Yeah, very cool. Very, very cool. So I can act like one of the cool kids now and start resolving all my stuff <laughs> using these little aliases. Be like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm cool too, guys. I'm cool too. I got it figured out. I got it. I know how this I know works. what I'm doing, yeah. I, I know what I'm doing. I can pretend. I can pretend for a little while. Okay. What else do we have here? I'm looking at um, some community links. Ooh, Caleb had one about how a facade works. Yeah, yeah it was like a 20 or 30 minute video that he put out um, going into like how facades work and, and digging into the, the container and all that kind of stuff. So things that kind of like so much of that is 
like it's 30 minutes to to learn it but it's like really the one of the foundational pieces of laravel and without the the container and the dependency injection stuff um laravel wouldn't function the way that it does yes Okay, well, I think that is about all that we had for today. Of course, there are plenty of good community links out there on Laravel News as well that you can go check out. A couple of them that I'm looking at here, How Facade Works, Caleb Porzio, um, including your own helper functions, creating a PHP CLI tool with Laravel Zero, make your Git command awesome, understanding solid principles of software engineering, there's a lot of good stuff in here. I would highly encourage you to take a couple minutes. Check that out. Read an article a day. Never know what you'll learn. Absolutely. But that's it. And tell me how we say 82 again. Okay. Did you learn this in school? Did you have to take, what is that, German? Yeah. No, I didn't learn. I went to Germany once and learned just enough to okay. get by. Just enough to get by, including the word 82. <laughs> So thanks everyone for listening to episode 82. If you liked this episode, we would really appreciate it. If you are a first time listener, you should subscribe. If you have been listening for a while and you haven't rated us up, we would really appreciate it if you did. And here's a new one. Share this with your friends. Eric Barnes every every week always puts out or every two weeks, always tweets out, hey, new Laravel News podcast. Like it or retweet it. We would love that. That'd be awesome. Help us reach a little bit larger audience. And uh, give Michael some thanks for all the hard works he put in. He puts into editing this thing. I just show up and record. <laughs> he just says, "Hey, are we recording?" I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, I guess we are." But he does all the editing and everything. So thank you, Michael. And uh, yeah, share it with your friends. It'd be great. Um, of course, if you have any questions or comments for us, feel free to hit us up on Twitter at Jacob Bennett, at Michael Dorinda, or at Laravel News. And you can find show notes for this episode at laravel-news.com/podcast/slash. 82. You don't even have to you don't even have to spell it in German. No. That's it. Absolutely. That's it. And maybe maybe be looking if you have a microphone, be looking. We may be making a call here to the Laravel community to intro our show in the near future. Absolutely. Keep an eye out. Be all looking that. for your chance. Yep. We need to write that down so we don't forget. I'll put it in my notes. All right. It's in the notes, people. It's in the notes. All right, everybody. Thanks again. We'll see you in 2 weeks. Bye. Bye.